following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Open your Bibles with me at Acts 10 this morning. Praise God. Obviously, we know what day it is today, and we've been already in Acts 2 this morning. What I wanted us to see, really, in Acts 10, to me, it, it, it's such a powerful illustration, such a powerful testimony of how the Holy Spirit ruins your theology. All the way through history, when there's been moves of the Holy Spirit, maybe sometimes denominations and churches have started. And it's, it's so funny, really, because when the next move of the Holy Spirit comes, sometimes the greatest opposition comes from the last people who were involved in the last move. It's almost like we keep wanting to put a lid on the church, and the Holy Spirit comes, someone said, and blows the top off the church again. I think it was Derek Prince who said that. So this is a long story. Now, you're familiar with this. This is the revelation coming to Peter and coming to the church that Jesus Christ was not just for the Jews, but that salvation was for the whole world. Now, this was like a metanoia, an amazing revelation coming to the church. And it comes to Peter. And you know this story. We're not going to read all of Acts 10. Um, but you know the story very well. You know the story of how an angel appeared to Cornelius, this Roman centurion, a good man, a godly man, believed in God, didn't know God. And the angel said to him, go and get Peter. And get Peter here, and Peter's going to tell you something, you know. And at that same time, the Holy Spirit was speaking to Peter in a remarkable way. Peter was a good Jew always kept the regulations, kept the, the religious regulations. As, as Brian said this morning, he would be in the temple, he would be praying at the proper times for a Jew to pray, which was like, you know, at 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock, and then again maybe 3 o'clock and it's sundown. And so here he was in his proper place of praying, and it was about noon, I think it was, and uh, he was feeling hungry, and he had, he had a vision. And on this vision, he saw a sheet coming down from heaven, and on this sheet were all sorts of unclean animals. And praise God, the Lord spoke to him three times and says, get up and eat. What God has cleansed, let no man call unclean. And just at that moment, of course, who was knocking on the door downstairs but the unclean Gentiles. And we all know what happened next. So let me just read you a couple of verses from what happened when Peter got to Cornelius' house. He got to Cornelius' house and he began to preach the gospel. And if you look down at Acts 10 and verse 43, you'll see, in fact, that he was interrupted the Holy Spirit interrupted Peter. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, interrupt us. Praise the Lord. Let there be and suddenness as part of our living. Everything we're planning to do, come, Lord, and, and interrupt us. But actually, the Holy Spirit's so gracious, you know. All he was doing was saying, Amen. That's all he did. Praise the Lord. I love sometimes listening back to the podcast here and you hear familiar voices going, Amen. <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit... There's times when the Holy Spirit says, ah, when the Holy Spirit says, amen, the whole place shakes. And look, Peter said something that caused the Holy Spirit to say, amen. Look at Acts 10, verse 43. He was just speaking of Jesus, and he said this, of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues 
and exalting God. Praise God. So this was the Holy Spirit sweeping into the kingdom of God a whole pile of unclean heathen. That's the way Peter saw these people. These were the unclean heathen. Now you remember in Acts 8 already, the Holy Spirit had through Peter laid hands on the Samaritans. You remember when the gospel came to Samaria? Philip went down there and they came to believe in Jesus. They sent for Peter and John went down and when they laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So already the little world of the gospel is only for the Jews was now the gospel is for the Jews and the Samaritans maybe, but it definitely wasn't for the hated Romans, not for the Gentiles, not for those people. So here we see all that being broken as the Holy Spirit just sweeps them into the kingdom. And so even though, as I said earlier, an angel had appeared to Cornelius, the angel wasn't allowed to preach the gospel. The angel told Cornelius, go and get Peter. You see, what's happening there is Christ wants his body to work with him. He wants his body to operate in union. You know what he's saying in effect? I'm not going to do anything apart from my body. Now, that's a very good thing to remember if you're sitting here for years wondering, when's God going to do that? Let me tell you the gospel. He says, I'm not going to do anything apart from my body. Go and send for X, Y, and Z. I work in and through my body. My body is my hands. My body is my feet. My body is my voice. This is how I move now, in and through my body. Praise God. I'm not going to work apart from you anymore. And so, really, Peter here is about to go through a tremendous growth spurt. The Lord has asked him to believe things he's never believed before. The Lord is asking him to believe things he's never believed before because he's about to ask him to do something he's never done before. If you want to do something you've never done before, it may be you're going to have to believe things you never believed before. And if you wonder why you need the Holy Spirit, that's why you need the Holy Spirit. For only he can open our eyes to see more and more and more of what we cannot yet see. For a believer to start to do the things he's never done before often requires that he or she starts to believe things they've never believed before. So here in Acts 10, the gospel begins to break out of the little subculture it's in, the little Jewish Samaritan subculture. The gospel begins to break out into the whole world. And whenever the gospel has been trapped in a little Christian ghetto or a little subculture, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit comes to break it free again, to break it free again in every generation. But for that to happen, six years, and this is what this is happening now, Acts 10, this is six years after Pentecost. And here Peter has to have a metanoia. He has to repent of what he has been believing, that the gospel is only for Jews, that the gospel is not really for the Gentiles, it's for the people of the word. And so the Jewish believers here who accompanied Peter to Cornelius' house, they were amazed that day at what they saw, you know. I always think about this. I was chatting to somebody during the week about this. You know, you can get a revelation from God, but don't expect people who are with you to share that in the sense that people have to get it themselves, you know. When Peter got down off that roof and he, before he went to Cornelius' house, it says there in Acts 10, you'll notice that he went and brought some brothers with him. He went to Joppa and got some good Jewish brothers, some Christians, and they didn't believe a word he said because I wouldn't have and you wouldn't have either. There's things you can't believe without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why they were amazed when they saw what happened to the Gentiles. They, un- they went out of respect for Peter. Many people will go with you out of respect, but they do not share the revelation that you have. But there'll come a day, praise God. 
So here they go, and they're amazed. But amazed isn't the word that the gospel used to describe what Peter felt when he got the revelation of what Christ has done. If you look at verse 17, it says, Peter, he was greatly perplexed. That's the word that's used there. The Greek word means to be completely at a loss, to doubt your own mind, to doubt your own sanity. Do you understand that the level of revelation the Holy Spirit gives will make you doubt your own sanity at times? He was greatly perplexed in his mind. If we think that we pray for the work of the Holy Spirit and you're not going to be greatly perplexed in your own mind, get prepared. He's going to ruin your world. That's why he does it, to break you out of your thinking. Praise God. So the gospel can escape from our past and the things that we think of about ourselves, you know. So when we too begin to have a metanoia, as Peter did, we too begin to see, in fact, that uh, God has done something and he doesn't see people as clean and unclean. And we'll come back to that. But this is a story of a journey. It's one man's journey, but it's a church's journey out of an old covenant view of righteousness, which looked to men to clean themselves up before God and into a new covenant view of righteousness, which saw righteousness as a gift which comes by the grace of God, which is received through faith by the hearing of the gospel. And that's what happened when Peter went into Cornelius' house. The moment the gospel was preached, they took hold of what they heard. And so really a natural Old Covenant could say, view of salvation magnifies the work of men. It says, you must do this, you must do this, clean yourself up, stop eating that, stop singing that, stop going there, stop doing that, do this, do this, do this. You see, it magnifies men. But when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they can only magnify God. Because what they see by the Holy Spirit is that salvation is an entirely a work of God. That's what happens when people see by the Holy Spirit. Praise God. They're absolutely filled with that revelation. Only the coming of God's Spirit would enable men to be created as he saw them to be, in union with him. And that's why Jesus told his disciples to wait at Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, to have that metanoia, that paradigm shift in their thinking, where they saw themselves as holy enough to receive God's Spirit, when they began to see that they are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, exactly what Paul wrote to the sinful Corinthians, you could say, people who were caught up in all sorts of stuff. He says, do you not know? Have you forgotten? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And so this is the revelation that they had at Pentecost that people forget. And they were full of joy. Praise God. When they saw this revelation that, uh, in fact, everything had been done, that God wasn't looking to them to clean themselves up. In that moment, and seeing that, they received the Holy Spirit. They received the fullness of God. They were full of joy. The psalmist says, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. What they saw was, my God, if he has really done that, then the presence of God is here. Praise God. And in that moment, they received that revelation. The veil had been torn in two. They could go right in into the presence of God, suddenly they realized they were standing in the presence of God. And then they were walking and jumping and leaping and dancing in the presence of God because they realized what God had done. Today is the day. That was their clarion call as they went to the streets. Today is the day. Can you see what God has done? But many people could not see, praise God. But when they looked and heard what the disciples said, their eyes began to open. Some people, of course, because it was 9 o'clock in the morning, they thought they were full, all right. Thought they were full of wine. That's why people in this town go out on a Saturday night to get full. They're trying to transcend the natural world of fear. They're trying to escape the world of fear. Folk, we've been given the Holy Spirit that we would not look at ourselves and naturalize, but they would transcend this world of fear to see what God has done. 
The Holy Spirit brought a revelation that God had done what the law could never do, made them holy to be able to be the temple of God's Spirit. And that began a shift in their thinking, a paradigm shift, because under the law, the emphasis was on their righteousness, their obedience, their disobedience, what they were doing. Their role was magnified. But on being filled with, filled with the Holy Spirit, they found within themselves a revelation of the Holy Spirit, how God saw what he had done. And what God saw was that salvation was all his doing. Praise God. And when you see that, it changes your life. When you see that, all you can do is magnify God. And whatever language you're speaking, all you can do is talk of the great and mighty deeds of God. You can't talk about what you have done. Suddenly the hearts were full to bursting. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So they spoke in 16 different languages, but the scripture says they all said the same thing. Isn't God great? Isn't God great? See, they were just absolutely captivated by what he had done. Every time in scriptures, when people were filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, they always magnified God. It's a sign of the Holy Spirit. You always magnify God. If the church needs a fresh move of the Holy Spirit, there can only be one reason, because we're not magnifying God. That's actually how the Jews who accompanied Peter to Cornelius' house were convinced that these Gentiles really were filled with the Holy Spirit. They heard them magnifying God in the same way that we did at the beginning. <laughs> There's always a great beginning, you know. But you know what? Everybody's got to come down from the day of Pentecost and back down to living next door and around and walking through a religious, self-righteous society. And that's what happened to Peter. And that's what happens to all of us. When we come to speak about Pentecost as Pentecostals, we often talk about tongues. But what I want to talk to you today about is magnifying God. The move of the Holy Spirit is that Christians would magnify God. They'd see that what God has done is everything. All over this city in the Christian world, when we cry out for a fresh Pentecost, a fresh move of the Spirit, I wonder how many of us realize that's really going to mess with our theology. Because we're really going to have to start to magnifying God in a way we've never done before. We're really going to have to start presenting the gospel in a way that magnifies Christ and doesn't magnify the response of men. So the Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And everyone who's ever been filled by the Holy Spirit always ends up magnifying God, not men. And that's why renewal is needed in every generation where believers have become conformed to the culture around them. You and I live in a man-magnifying culture. You and I live where men think that they're going to save the world. They're going to clean up the world. They're going to clean up the world. Can you see how natural thinking that is? Why do they have to clean up the world? Because God hasn't done a thing. You see, as far as the earth's concerned, God hasn't done a thing. We live in a world that magnifies men. that says, come on, you can do it. That's the gospel of this world. You can do it. That is not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is he has done it. He has done it. But you can only see that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. So that we again become to magnify God. So every time when the culture of the world, which is you can do it, begins to seep into the church, it changes the church's presentation of the gospel. We begin to present it almost as what we can do for God. It's not the gospel. The gospel is what he has done. Praise God. And so we need the Holy Spirit again to refresh us, to renew us, so we can see so clearly what he has done that all we can talk about Morning, noon, and night is what Christ has done. Because we know in our hearts that's enough. If people would hear the extent, the magnitude of what he's done, they would too would get a metanoia. They too would find in themselves the ability to believe in what he has done. And that comes with a proclamation of the gospel like only the Holy Spirit can proclaim it. It's all about Jesus Christ and what he has done. Praise God.
Instead, if the world seeps into the church, we get a mixture. The gospel sounds like, well, here is what God has done, and here's what you need to do. That is not the gospel. The gospel is entirely about what God has done. Let me give you an example. Did anybody see 250,000 Liverpudlians celebrating the victory of their team during the week? Any Liverpool fans here? Come forward, we'll pray for you. <laughs> Did you see them? The whole city went berserk. Why were they so full of joy? Oh, and I looked at them, and you must have looked at them too, thinking, why isn't the church rejoicing like that? Why? Because they know it's all over. That's why they rejoice like that. Because it's a victory. It's something that has been done. Imagine if Liverpool County Council came to the people of Liverpool and said, listen, we have a problem. We know that Liverpool's about to play in this big match next week in the final. We've got a clash of events. We just don't have the room to have a celebration parade after the event. So we're going to have one in the week before. Let's all have a celebration. We'll get the team on a bus. We'll drive them through Liverpool and we'll celebrate that we got to the final. How about that, folks? What do you think? Do you think you would have seen the same celebration? Why not? No victory. That's what the church is trying to do. That's what the church does. When you change the gospel from what has been done to what might happen if we. No joy. And the joy of the Lord is the strength of the church. And God is restoring the strength of the church by restoring the gospel as a message entirely about what Christ has done. Praise God. This is what we see actually at the incarnation when the angels rejoiced at the birth of Jesus. They knew salvation was all God's work from start to finish. That's how they rejoiced in the way they did. If you ever think it a bit strange that at the incarnation of Jesus' birth, the angels were rejoicing, the whole of heaven was rejoicing. Do you not think somebody should have told them, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, he hasn't done anything yet. Don't you see what he's got to go through? Temptation, trial, the whole religious world coming against him. I mean, you know, uh, are you sure you should be celebrating now? Do you know why they were celebrating now? Because they knew something we've forgotten. Salvation is all God's work. And he starts something. He finishes it. You're absolutely right. If the gospel was that God has atoned for your sins and you need to actually make that up and finish the job, then the angels wouldn't have celebrated at all. If salvation was anything to do with Phelan Doherty, they'd be pulling their hair out. They'd be wringing their hands, you know. They'd be down on their knees praying. They were celebrating because they knew the gospel. It's by Christ alone. Christ alone. He doesn't need our help to do what he did. He's done it. He didn't come to give good advice. He came to do something. And he did it. Praise God. The angels could not have rejoiced if the deal was that God would start atonement for sins and it was up to you or I to finish it. <laughs> That's why the gospel is good news for all men. Why all men? Because despite what you may have heard, the gospel is not the good news of what God will do if it's the good news of what God has done for all men. That's why the gospel is not just good news for some people, it's good news for all. Good tidings for all. Why all? Because it's nothing to do with your response. It's about what God has done. And when men see and hear what God has done, the Holy Spirit is able to open their eyes. The response even is a gift of God. You can't even boast about your response. Even that's by the grace of God. What has he done? What can we tell Irish Street he has done? What can we tell Top of the Hill he has done? Turn your Bibles to 1 John 2. And if you have a pen, underline this. 
put a marker on it. Cut it out, stick it on your wall. When you go to the shop, bring it with you. This is what God has done. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Here is good news for the Cregan. Here is good news for Moville. Here is good news for Dublin, for Bunkrana, for anywhere you care to mention. 1 John 2, 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, that's why there was such a celebration in the heavenly realms, why it was good news for all men. He came to do something. He didn't come to leave us an example. He came to live this life for us because he knew that we were totally incapable of living it ourselves. That's why in that new day, that great and glorious day of incarnation, the angels sang so well, you know. I love this uh, carol that we sing at Christmas, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I was looking at the words of that again, you know. Because you see, the angels were singing as if it was all over. There was a celebration of 75 years of D-Day during the week. I'm sure every person here saw it. The greatest German general was Rommel. And Rommel said this, if they establish a beachhead, the war is lost. He knew how great the power of America was and all the armor and all the men that could be poured into Europe. And he said this, if they manage to establish a beachhead, the war is over. It may take six months, two years, three years, but the war is over. His only hope was to stop them on the beaches, you know. When the incarnation happened, when the angels saw that God had become flesh, they celebrated. It was all over. God had made a beachhead into humanity and there was no going back. It was only a matter of time, praise God. They were absolutely convinced. They just celebrated. That's why I love this carol. It says, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners. That's the gospel. That's what they celebrated. They saw it. They said, this is the gospel. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all you nations, rise. Join the triumph of the skies. So the Holy Spirit still sings that over the church. Nations, rise. Join the triumph of the skies. They haven't got a, one doubt this morning in the skies, in the heavenly realm of what Christ has done. That's what the Holy Spirit says to the church. Come on, nations, rise. Join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king praise God you see they see they can see it's all his work they can see it's got nothing to do with us they can see that he's done enough that the war is over that everything that needs to be done has been done and so the work of the Holy Spirit is never to exhort the church to try harder to become something but always to open the eyes of the church to see who they already are in Christ. See, that's why the enemy's lost. That's why Liverpool people celebrate. The victory's already won. The victory's already won. But as time goes on, thinking can be conformed to the world around us, a world that magnifies men and not God. We all do it. People who at a moment in time filled with the Spirit, saw so clearly what God had done, can come back under the influence of natural thinking again and be drawn back into the world where the emphasis is once again on men and what they will do for God. That's why Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? That having begun in the Spirit, you are now trying to finish in the flesh what was done in the Spirit? 
any gospel presentation that emphasizes what man must do above what God has done is a product of a mind that has not been fully renewed, that doesn't see clearly that Christ has become for us our righteousness, our sanctification, our holiness. Now, Peter is a great example of that. My goodness, don't we love Peter? He's just like us, isn't he? He puts his foot right in his mouth every time. Praise the Lord. Isn't it great? Such a godly man, you know? Such a teachable man. Such a wonderful man. But here he is, six years after Pentecost. You know, and there were times in his life where full of the Holy Spirit, he was able to see so clearly, like he did on the day of Pentecost. But then Peter had to go home and go to sleep and get up and go to sleep and get up and go to sleep and get up. He had to live in a religious society. He had to live in a self-righteous culture, and he became affected by that culture. And after keeping company with all the religious believers in Jerusalem, who basically regarded Gentiles as second class, not as clean as they were, his eyes fell. Peter's vision fell from the heavenly realm, the heavenly perspective that Christ's atoning sacrifice was enough, and onto the sore, more religious perspective, that yes, you know, you do have to watch what you eat, and you do have to get circumcised, and you do have to say certain prayers, and you do have to go certain things in certain times in order to make right what God hasn't quite made right yet, you know? And remember when he got to Antioch and he started to manifest this, he started to manifest a mixed gospel because he started to refuse to mix with people who he didn't regard as as clean as him. And it got so bad that Paul says even Barnabas was being carried away in error. And at that point, when Paul saw that, he knew the gospel was in danger. He knew the gospel was that he, he spoke up in front of everybody. He rebuked Peter because he knew a little leaven, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's so hard to speak up against the majority of the church, but Jesus Christ would have us to do it. If you see that there's a mixture coming into the gospel, think for a moment how difficult that must have been for a man like Paul to speak to Peter. Peter, of all people. Paul, I mean, he's the guy who stoned Stephen to death. And he's going to tell Peter, Peter, the man who walked with Jesus for three years. You didn't walk with Jesus for three years, Paul. The man who stood up in the day of Pentecost, you didn't do that, Paul. The man who brought Holy Spirit to Samaria, laid hands on the Gentiles. The man who actually came to the house of Cornelius and first proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles? You didn't do that, Paul. But Paul, by the Holy Spirit, knew there are times when you have to speak up, when you see a leaven in the gospel, when you see mixture. And so he did that. He took that public stand. And how gracious he was. But how gracious was Peter to receive correction? My goodness me. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am humble and gentle. You know, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's getting over yourself. If Peter was a proud man, he never would have taken that from Paul, and we'd all be the worse for it. There's another great apostle called Apollos. Ever heard of Apollos? Great man of God, preached the word, knew everything about Jesus Christ, and yet a woman called Priscilla and her husband Aquila had to take him to one side and explain the gospel to him more fully. And Apollos was a humble man. You see, Maturity in Christ is not being right, it's being teachable. You know who said that? Peter. I'll read it to you. It's the last thing he wrote in his message, praise God, where he talked about, do not fall into error, but grow in the grace of God. 
grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's just a beautiful thing, really. Paul said it the same way, but he said it slightly different. He said, do not get drunk in wine, but be thee continually filled by the Holy Spirit. Be thee continually learning. Be thee continually growing in the grace of God. Be prepared to have your mind changed on things that you're set on. Be open to the Holy Spirit. So what I'm saying then, it's quite possible for us as believers to come under, under the influence of the culture around us, the culture of religion around us, and for that reason, the revelation of the Holy Spirit cannot be a one-off event. But as we grow in maturity, we come to points of crisis, crisis in our walk with God. You will come to points of crisis in your walk with God. The Greek word crisis means to choose. You'll be asked to choose what you believe. And Peter, he, he did not like times of crisis. Are, are, they're not very comfortable. Let's face it. Peter was deeply perplexed. He was going to lose friends over this, you know. Times of crisis, you see, really, are like times of childbirth. Childbirth is a messy business. It's a messy business. It's full of joy, but at exactly the same time, it's full of great trepidation. Times like that in the church, really, they're full of joy and full of great trepidation because it seems like nothing you understand or knew is the same again. Everything seems to be changing. But the Holy Spirit says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author, and he's the perfecter of your faith. Paul went through, he must have gone through hell, sitting there thinking, what am I going to say to my brothers, my Jewish brothers? I'm going to go and tell them that the heathen are as clean as we are. Make no mistake, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit said to him. As he went through the door of Cornelius' house, those were the first words out of his mouth because he couldn't get over it himself. He couldn't stop talking about it. He, says, I, he, come in, he comes into Cornelius' house, I think it's recorded actually, and uh, he, he says there, um, I shouldn't be here. That's what he says. I think it's in verse 20. I shouldn't be, you know I shouldn't be here. You know I'm a Jew, and you're dirty old unclean Gentiles. You know I shouldn't be here. But you know what? The Holy Spirit told me, call no man unclean. Call no man unholy. Paul wrote that himself. We see no man after the flesh. It doesn't mean that everybody's saved. It means that God has done something for them. God has atoned for their sins. But they need to receive that, you see? Now look at this gospel again. As Peter was praying, it says, this voice came down. A voice, and this sheet, first of all, came down from heaven. Now, if this sheet came down from heaven, it had lots of unholy things in it. But where did it come from? It came from heaven. And a voice said three times, Do not call unclean what I have cleansed. What God has cleansed, no longer call unholy. Three times, you know. Now, if we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then River City Church, I have to say to you this morning, what God has cleansed, do not call unholy. If you're asking for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit, then be in no doubt of what the Spirit will say to the church. He'll say, magnify the work of Christ. Magnify his atoning work. Stop asking people to atone for their own sins through religious acts. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. That word cleanse, actually in the Greek, is uh, kartharizo. Kartharizo. Peter had heard that word before, you know. A leper had once come to Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can kartharizo me. And Jesus looked at him and said, I am willing. And he reached out and touched him. Now, Peter understood that. But what he didn't understand was on the cross, Jesus Christ reached out and touched the whole world. He cartherized on them. That's what the scripture says. Peter's beginning to see that. He's beginning to see it. He can't believe it, you know. Certainly the people who go with him don't believe it. Don't believe a word of it. But they'll go along out of respect after all. This is Peter, you know. 
praise God. We'll go along to see what happens. So they all turn up at Cornelius' house, and there Peter goes through the door, and he's still talking about it. He's still talking, I don't believe it. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. <laughs> I shouldn't be here. I'm here. Oh, my God, I'm here. <laughs> I'm surrounded by unclean Gentiles. Well, let me tell you, you know, first thing, actually, Cornelius did, he'd been down on his knees to worship Peter, and Peter says, get up, I'm a man just like you, and God has told me I'm not to look down my nose at you anymore. This is the man who then a few years later looked down his nose at him. Do you see the need of the Holy Spirit to continue to refresh the church into the revelation of the gospel? So then he goes and he starts to preach that beautiful sermon, you know. And so what we're saying this morning is this beautiful message we have for people is that God has done something. He hasn't come as an example. He's come and done something. He has atoned for their sins. Now people need to receive that. We looked at the woman at the well in Straban a few weeks ago where Jesus has said to this woman, if you only knew if you only knew the gift of God and who it is you're speaking to, you would have asked. And in the moment you asked, you would have received. Do you see the way he didn't steal her self-will? He didn't take away her will. He didn't force eternal life on her. We're made in the image of God. We have a God who chooses. He chose to set aside his glory to come for us. But what I'm telling you is that we proclaim the gospel in all its fullness. There is power in the message itself to enable people to receive. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Oh, it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew and for the Gentile. Praise God. The power of that message, the power of good news is the difference between those folks celebrating in Liverpool last week and what they would have looked like if all they had was good advice. And that's what God is restoring to the church. Make no mistake, church. If you're praying for a move of the Holy Spirit, he's going to mess with your theology. He's going to open your eyes. You're going to stop talking about what you did for the Lord to enable him to cleanse you your sins. You're just going to start talking about what the Lord did for every person. That he is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but for Irish Street, for Knockwellen, for Bunkrana, for Dublin, for the whole world. But they must believe. And how are they to believe if they've never heard? And so the Holy Spirit comes in our generation too to bust open the gospel from a little Christian subculture and spread it right the way across the city. And that's what's happening right now. And how do I know that? Because I can see it in your lives. I can see what God's doing in our lives. I can see the fear and trepidation. And I can see the joy. I can see the childbirth. I can see all the mess of it right in front of us in this generation. Praise God. That we would have a move of spirits that doesn't peter out because it changes our revelation of who we are in Christ. And it's not about man and self. And it won't just peter out into a whole big division about, well, this church, we had it first. No, we had it first. No, we had it first. It won't go there. Because when you get a revelation that it's all by his grace, that you're saved by Christ alone, through grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, that no man should boast. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no man should boast. When there's no boasting, there's no division. Now suddenly the church begins to manifest union. And when they see the love you have one for another, then they will know that Christ has done something, that he really has done something, you know. So I just want to say over you this morning, you're blessed. You are blessed. You are one in Christ. We are one with every other believer in this city. We're one. There's only one church in the city. We're one in Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to exhort us to try harder, to make unity. He comes to open our eyes to see what Christ has done. You see? Because if, I, if you and I try harder to do something, who gets the glory for that? All the glory goes to him. Why? Because he's done it. He has done it. Set your eyes, therefore, church, on things above, not on the things of the earth, because you died. Ribu explained at the table this morning. 
Self died. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we shall be just like him in glory, because that's who we are. Father in heaven, we just thank you this morning just for the power of your word. Father, we, you give us the grace to believe such awesome things. Lord, your word is described as, as, as anybody ever heard such things. Father, we think of when your apostle Paul began to preach this gospel, people said, have you lost your mind? Have you lost your mind? Because there was no place for man in this gospel. There was no place for pride. There was no place for man saving himself. It was simply a proclamation of good news. There wasn't one bit of good advice in it. But that good news was so good, it had the power to give people a metanoia. It had the power to change people's thinking, to create in them faith. Because faith comes by hearing of what you have done. The Father, we just simply rest this morning that you have begun a great work in the revelation of the finished work in our lives. And we're going to see more and more and more of just exactly what you have done. And as we see that, it shall be restored to us again what has been stolen. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. You know, for 1,500 years, justification by faith was not preached in the majority of the church. Had to, one man had to have a revelation for that to spread, you know. Came the beginning of the 20th century. Nobody had ever believed in speaking in tongues. The majority of the church thought that was just of the devil. It didn't exist for today, you know. It had to be restored. You see, at the cross, everything was restored. But you and I are outworking that. There's things going to be restored, things that we're going to see that we've never seen before. We're going to do things we've never done before because we're going to believe things that we've never believed before. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you, folks. Thank you.